0: It's time for the Faith Connection Show with your host, Dr. David Miller, equipping people to connect with their purpose. In the next half hour, you will be inspired with words of encouragement, and you'll be motivated by experts in the respective field who have been where you're trying to go on the Faith Connection Show. But first, here's an inspirational word.
1: is Buwana Miller Cannon with your word of the day. Exodus 23 and 25 says, worship the Lord your God and his blessings will be on your food and your water. I will take away sickness from among you and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. It's 2020. It's time to say bye-bye to the old and hello to the new. God is on ready, set, go to bless you beyond measure. We're no longer stressed and depressed because in God we will find rest.
2: I'm here to declare to you my past is over in you. Things are made new. Surrendered my life to Christ. I'm moving, moving forward. such a freedom, Lord, I have found in you. You're the healer who makes all things new. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Thank you for listening to the Faith Connection Show. And here's Dr. Miller with his special guest.
3: This is Dr. David Miller with the Faith Connection Radio Show, and we're into a brand new year, and we're trying to pick out some things that are going to help people get through this year, and we have on the show with us today our uh, Doc Honeycutt, <laughs> and we're just glad to have you on the show. We're going to talk about all the nutritional things that we need to do and in order to get ready to have a prosperous year health-wise this year, and we're just glad to have you on the show.
4: I'm so glad to be here. I'm honored, and it's just a blessing that you are. Out, so I want to say thank you for having
3: oh, me. Oh we got to say thank you to you because you're going to make us well. <laughs> you know you have an interesting background and now, of course now you uh, you're a Ph.D. And you also practice naturopathic medicine, is that correct? And I was asking you a few moments ago the difference between naturopathic medicine and homeopathic medicine. What what what's the difference between the two?
4: Well, I was saying, letting you know that you know they're kind of similar, but with the homeopathy, they somebody they may take a Tylenol or you know they may take something synthetic. But with naturopathy, we deal totally with natural, you know, natural herbs, vitamins, supplements, juicing, exercise, because your body repairs on its own. You just have to do the proper things, you know, and retrain it for it to You know, to train the way it should, to reheal and repair
3: for the body to perform it as it naturally should. Because, I guess the the human body is already designed. God did such a great job with it. He designed it so it sort of heals itself. Absolutely. uh, A lot of that depends on what you've been putting in it. Because whatever you fuel it with, it's what it has to work with. And I think in your case, you you have a different approach to that. Now let's talk a little bit about your background. You are a graduate. uh, You got your Your master's and your undergrad degree at Cornell University, right? And then you went on to the University of Alabama, where you got your PhD. And your PhD was in what?
4: Well, it's it's the doctor of naturopathy. Okay. So, and what that consists of is, like I say, we teach you. I treat the body as a whole. Okay. I don't treat symptoms, but I had to learn like everything that. The medical doctors, I had to go to school and learn just like they did. But then I had to go on three more years and learn what we know. Oh yeah. Yeah, because you know your body. We have to know if you got any contraindications or anything that's gonna harm your body. Some things that you take, as far as like supplements and vitamins, everybody can't take everything. Right. So even when I have a a patient that I'm bringing in for the first time, I send an intake form and they wonder why they get a whole book that they have to fill out. And, you know, because it's about 20 pages, I have to know every single thing about that patient before I decide that I'm going to take them on. I have to know how they sleep. I have to know how they eat. I have to know when they get up on the side of the bed and sit there, how do they put their feet down every day? You know, it's just a lot of different um, technicalities that go with this thing. You know, you just don't call me and say, you know, I got a headache and I need to know what I need to do. No, I need to know what you're doing first before I even tell you anything.
3: Okay. You know, it sounds like you're treating the body not the symptoms. And of course that is a criticism of medicine that in uh, traditional medicine they treat the symptoms rather than the body. Tell us a little bit about that.
4: So the like we said the the body is designed to reheal, but we have to give it the proper necessities. So the body as a whole, if you have a headache, there's a reason why your body is having that headache. And it may be just something simple as you needing water, you're dehydrated, mm-hmm. but we need to find out, you know, have you been drinking the water that your body requires on a daily basis? So, you know, like, and like I said, that, that goes with me, you know, interviewing, And you know, we spend a lot of time with our patients. Like we talk to our patients, we put our hands, a lot of um, the medical doctors, they don't come in and spend time with you and touch you. You know, they're about numbers. They come in 10, 15 minutes, they're out writing something on the paper and they're out. And then they're ready to make a synthetic treatment, you know, but we want to make the best proper treatment that we can so your body can repair.
3: Now, uh, that's interesting because now there are a lot of doctors who are extremely critical of the way they have to treat patients because of the time factor that's placed on them. They can only spend so much time with a patient. And I do think it's critical that people have enough time to talk to their physician because understanding your treatment and why you're being treated for something is 99.9% of following a good path of healing because if I know what I'm doing wrong and I understand it and I don't hear it from you in medical terms but I hear it from you in generic terms I'm gonna know what I need to do on my end to help what you're doing on this end and so I I do understand that that's an important step but you know your certifications you uh, board certified and uh, in a number of different areas and I thought that would be interesting for our listeners because uh, it's not that you just decided that you were gonna go natural you have done a great deal of training and certifications uh, and becoming board certified in the area that you work in and also notice that you have clients that you go to their homes like the athletes and all that tell us a little bit about that
4: so you know I worked I have all for a while I had my own clinic but then you know destiny just kind of take us in a different direction Absolutely. and i noticed that a lot of um you know different athletes race car drivers owners i've had my hands on so many people you know all different walks of life the the dnc convention the white house called me oh really yeah and when they call like i had a lady that she was like you know are you dr honeycutt i can't tell you who you're gonna see but i need all of your information i need to know some things about you so can you send them because we have to have you checked out and I'm like who am I seeing so I sent all of my information and I (laughs) guess I cleared because when I got to the place that they had set up for me I actually saw you know I can't really say because of the HIPAA laws but it was definitely a person that was high up from the White House
3: and you know that's interesting because I didn't realize that they sought out People or medical professions professionals i 'm sorry of all different walks uh, when they were coming into a city like that so that 's interesting. Tell me though, in your uh, practice. I I noticed you mentioned the athletes. Now, you actually go to the athletes' home and do your services there. Is that correct?
4: Yeah, I can either um, go to their homes or go to the stadiums, you know, wherever they need for, if they need for me to come on location, I go Mm -hmm. to location. But a lot of times, I'm in the privacy of their own homes, and they have my clinic set up, you know, to, uh, and a lot of times, what I do first is I do go in and do like a, a total assessment. Mm -hmm. you know, which does not take a whole lot of anything. Mm -hmm. And if they need to be referred to somebody else, you know, I get them the care that they need. And my patients that I've been seeing, I've been seeing them for a very, very long time, since like 2003, like these people have rocked with me for this long, you know. Right. And the only reason, like, some of them have moved away, you know, from different circumstances, or like I say, you know, some fly in, but they've rocked with me for a long time.
3: Now, um, say, for instance, uh, professional athletes, many of them suffer from injuries because uh, they really, their bodies take a lot of punishment. And I would assume that uh, most, a lot of them have nutritionists and people like that that work with them on a daily basis. So basically, uh, that's kind of what that you do, you would go in, set up a regiment for them and work with them through that regiment to keep their body in condition to go through the punishment. And especially if it's NFL players, that is serious punishment.
4: Yes, because they take a beating and when they retire, I mean, they've earned every penny that they get because their bodies are so beat up. And, you know, and I try to give a lot of, like, the younger ones advice, like, please invest your money because I know that they're not going to be, you know, that's just for Season they got to have something to do
3: when it's, after, over, when,
4: right? when it's over. So, <laughs> but I do, I go in and I design like a really good treatment plan because you know, one of the key things is prevention.
3: Oh, yeah, you know, Absolutely.
4: prevention and knowledge is power. So, I'll get them on a good regimen. And if they need me to come, you know, because of an injury, because a lot of times they'll call me first because they don't want to be put on the injured list.
3: Oh, I can believe so. That.
4: If I can fix them in house. You know, I do what I need to do, and what you know, we we work together. And if I feel that you know, and which is not a lot, like you know, I I can do some stuff. I can take care of some stuff. So, <laughs> but if if it, they can't, you know, if they don't not getting better, we make sure we get them referred to who they need to go to.
3: We're gonna take a quick break here, and we'll be right back.
0: Attention entrepreneurs, goal-getters, and people seeking financial freedom and new opportunities, you are invited to three free workshops, how to trade one hour in the stock market with self-made millionaire, Tim Lewis. This is Tim Lewis. I'm looking forward to seeing you for the upcoming trading workshop, how to make a living trading in the stock market one hour a day. Robert Smith, a billionaire, made his money in the stock market, paid $40 million to pay off the student debt at Mohawk College. Folks, let me tell you, if you learn this skill and become good at it, you may have problems in life, but money will not be one of them. You're invited to three workshops, Sunday, January 26th, 4 p.m., Tuesday, January 28th, 1230 p.m., and 630 p.m. at the Sheraton Airport Hotel, 3315 Scott Trail Drive. Give them the number, Tim. Call and reserve your seat for the free workshop, 205-422-9000. That's 205-422-9000. Call and reserve your seat because the place will be packed out, 205-422-9000.
1: Now back to Dr. David Miller and his special guest, Doc Honeycutt, who specializes in naturopathic medicine.
3: I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the other things you're doing. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought at one time you just took care of the body, but you also have a lot of, you even ride motorcycles, is that right? Yes. Now you right, know good saying. well that's not safe. <laughs> <laughs>
4: It's an outlet. I'm careful and I respect it and you know when I go out we act crazy like the first five minutes we get on those motorcycles on the highway like you know I'm just saying we just go ham you know but then I break it back down like girl you know you need to stop going this fast but I've been riding for 20 years now. 20 years? I absolutely mm-hmm. love My it. Goodness. Yes.
3: Well you almost had to get into the health profession so you can make sure you can heal yourself physician. <laughs> okay. Now you know you have a show that's out on the own channel right uh and i'm not talking over channel but it's own channel right It's on
4: channel yes Mm -hmm. so i have um i have actually two shows i have beauties and bikers on set okay it's a talk show and i've kind of implemented the ladies from my cast and it's kind of like the view Mm -hmm. and we talk about life stuff like we have individual topics that we talk about just try to you know my motive has always been i want to help people I want to set people up for healthy success. Mm -hmm. And I know God has given me the platform that I'm on so I can do that. I can tell them that mental illness is real, but nobody wants to talk about it because of the stigma that has been attached to it. The first thing people say is, oh, you're crazy. No, I'm not crazy. I'm just having mental challenges, but there is help and there's resources out here. And a lot of the young people, they get ashamed. It's no reason to get ashamed because they feel like people don't understand what they're going through.
3: Recently, you've uh, moved your show out of the studio because you were doing a show uh, on Spectrum 21, I think. And now you're trying to get out, and you're doing some things with motorcycles, and you're filming that and putting those clips out. Tell us a little bit, what drove you to expand out so far
4: so the like i said the beauties and bikers onset is a totally different show from the beauties and bikers reality tv series and it's you know it's exciting the first what made me do a reality tv show was i done a documentary film called rude gear riders and Mm -hmm. it was about women motorcycle riders here in the city and why they decided to ride when I put the post out that I was doing the documentary, you know, nobody really got excited. Like, it's like people don't like stuff that talk about learning. Okay. So I was like, okay, let me do a reality TV show. So I that done gave that, birth to that. And it took off, like, I done a two, a two minute trailer. And when I say it launched like wildfire, It went off oh and so okay now i got their attention so let's implement some things that's gonna help some people in these shows you know what i'm saying because all of my shows have to have a message okay i was already picked up on the on channel and i didn't have one single episode Oh, well, now
3: I'd like to talk to you more about that, but I got to talk to you about all these books you've written. How many
4: books (laughs) now? So I have seven books written. Okay. And all of my books are health and wellness and motivational books. Okay. Because once again, you know, I'm always trying to figure out how can I give back to the community? How can I set everybody up to, you know, I want them to know that knowledge, like I said, is power. And if you know it you can kind of fight with it. You know what I'm saying? You can use that as a tool. So I have two mental health books. Um, I have a a book about myself because I was not always um, the person that I am today. Right. But I was very overweight as a young adult. And I looked at my family. They had a history of high blood pressure and, you know, all the... The born stuff that comes mm-hmm. down from you know different from the family diseases, they had that stuff. I watched my granddaddy, he had uh, diabetes, and his legs was amputated. Uh-huh. My daddy had diabetes as well. And it just did not take a rocket scientist to know, like, you know, this is your family. I noticed that when my daddy had diabetes in the 1980s, the only thing that they knew to do was change his diet. So I'm like, okay, like, come on. If that's what it's gonna take for me not to get these diseases, change my diet why, you know, exercise. That's what I'm going to do. So I live by that. I'm a product of my environment. I can't tell my patients what to do if I'm not doing it myself.
3: Well, now that's interesting, but I wonder when you talk about diet and exercise, and I know it's, this is another show, but it, that does help. But you just mentioned that you were obese at one time.
4: I was 238 pounds. I was really, I was a young adult at that time. But like I said, you know, reality kicked in and I know that I didn't want to have diabetes I would go to my practitioner and she was like oh your blood pressure is borderline high your cholesterol is borderline high and I'm like I don't want that stuff so we're gonna nip it in the bud right now so today I am blessed to say that I'm the oldest of my siblings I'm not on any medications you know I I get out and run every day I have a clean diet and it's just my lifestyle like this is what I believe in for my life
3: okay now in case someone wanted to reach you I know you're everywhere (laughs) uh, but (laughs) just in case someone wanted to reach you how would they do it
4: so you can reach out to me at drdhoneycutt at gmail.com I love to come out and speak I speak at all kind of um, engagements um, schools I speak to athletes you know just come out and you know like I say I want to spread education let everybody know that you can be healthy and you can be whole
3: okay well you know I'm I'm going to pick your brain a little bit after the show because I want you to tell me what I need to do to get healthy. Okay. All right. It's been great having you on the show, Doc. And we're looking forward to a great year. I know that these new books you have coming out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get copies of them. I'm going to try to become a student of Doc Honeycutt. (laughs) How about that?
4: Oh, I definitely thank you for having me today. It's just been great
3: having you on the show and appreciate you coming and consenting. So this has been the Faith Connection Radio Show and we've had Doc Honeycutt tell us how to live better and free of illness in this new year. God bless you.
4: God bless you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Faith Connection Show with your host, Dr. David Miller, equipping people to connect with their purpose. Here's an inspirational word from Dr. David Miller.
3: This is Dr. David Miller. We want to thank you for joining us through the year of 2019. Now we're moving into 2020, and we're looking forward to great shows and a great opportunity to minister to you through the Faith Connection Radio Show. And we welcome you to the new year where you will experience things that you've never experienced before. We're looking forward to
0: happy experiences for this year and health and wealth. Thank you for listening to the Faith Connection Show with Dr. David Miller, making a connection for you and equipping people to connect with their purpose. Don't forget to log on to the ConnectCenterNC.com. That's connectcenternc.com. If you'd like to reach Dr. David Miller, email theconnectcenter3 at gmail.com. That's theconnectcenter3 at gmail.com. And remember, never lose the connection to your purpose. It's time for the Faith Connection Show with your host, Dr. David Miller, equipping people to connect with their purpose. In the next half hour, you will be inspired with words of encouragement and you'll be motivated by experts in the respective field who have been where you're trying to go on the Faith Connection Show. But first, here's an inspirational word.
1: This is Buwana Miller Cannon with your word of the day. Your true passion isn't in your career or the amount of money you make. You must search for the real you, the person buried under other people's perception of you. Are you truly the person they perceive you to be? If not, start living your reality, not your perception. Discover who you are and whose you are and watch your passion and purpose produce the profession and paycheck you desire. Philippians 4 and 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Faith Connection show. And here's Dr. Miller with his special guest.
3: We have in the studio with us today Rocky Kebagnot, who is an attorney in uh, the city of Charlotte, North Carolina and Rocket we're just glad to have you on the show with us today because we've got some exciting things to talk about with our audience today and we know you're going to fulfill us with that great connection point today when it comes to law and nonprofit.
5: Appreciate that. Thank you Dr. Miller.
3: Listen, Rocket, tell us just a little bit about yourself because we want the audience to kind of grasp your history a little bit and then we'll talk through some other things.
5: Okay. Well, I am a native of Salisbury, North Carolina and I went to uh, North Carolina for undergrad, so I'm proud Tar Heel. Mm-hmm. I attended law school down in Gainesville, Florida, so I'm also a you know, part-time Florida Gator as well. <laughs> uh, I got cut my teeth in practicing law down in Florida, okay. in North Central Florida as a legal services attorney. Okay. And so that's how I kind of got into the, into the game, so to speak, mm-hmm. in public interest law. And I spent uh, about eight years down in Florida, you know, sort of doing work in landlord-tenant, consumer protection. But the biggest area that I did, and this is a segue into nonprofits, was that I started working with community organizations, faith-based organizations focused on affordable housing. And so that was an area of law. They sometimes call it community economic development. Okay. And so as a legal services attorney, I provided, you know, legal services to those organizations that were trying to you know, develop, rehab, build, conserve affordable housing for low-income and, 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 you know, working-class folks. And so my sort of tour of duty, because, you know, when you're doing public interest work, it's it's a little bit like soldiering, right? right. Uh, because uh, you're out there, <laughs> um, it's thankless, And but, you know, at the same time, you have the, you feel like you're, you know, I mean, they've always told us at conferences, you're doing God's work, right? You right. Know, because if you're serving the poor, and those who can't afford an attorney, you know, there's always an old saying is that uh, what's more infuriating than a poor person is a poor person with an attorney.
3: <laughs> well, you know, the <laughs> scriptures are correct about that. It says when you give to the poor, you lend to God, man. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like I'm going to steal that. I don't
5: take yeah. that.
3: Yeah. No, well, I stole it from the Bible. Oh, okay. Let it okay. Say okay. It that All way. Right. Now, you know, Rocket, in North Carolina, and of course, that's the area where you practice law, mm-hmm. there are 120,000 nonprofits wow, in yeah. North Carolina. Carolina and only about 36,000, I think, are tax exempt. Mm-hmm. And in the Charlotte area, where you primarily practice, there are about 427 in the Charlotte area. Mm-hmm. So I think you're going to have your hands full with having to give instructions to that many nonprofits because I think your practice that you're doing now lends itself to mm-hmm. non, uh, non-profit law. Let me ask you a question. Sure. Uh, th- there are uh, non-profits that are private people that are wanting to do a non-profit that are listening to us today. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to actually, what is the very first step that someone should take in order to set up a non-profit?
5: Okay, this happens quite a lot. And so many nonprofits start with their genesis comes in a very, you know, various means. A lot of times there's a founder and usually maybe there's one person and they see in the world around them a social ill, Mm -hmm. whether it be, you know, diabetes to uh, just homelessness to autism, you name it, the environment, they feel very passionate about this. And so uh, the idea is that, well, I've heard about a nonprofit. I've heard about 501c3. I've heard about tax exempt. And and a lot of those terms are very separate from a legal um, aspect. But well, why don't we why don't Mm -hmm. we stop
3: just a moment in the interview and uh, for the listeners' uh, sake, let's tell the difference between a five hundred one C three and you know, standard none, but okay. talk to us a little bit about sure. that. Sure.
5: So in North Carolina, um, there are a number of business entities that you can choose to incorporate. So that's their, so that's the first step. If you're going to, and so there, obviously you obviously, you know, there's a limited liability company, a corporation. Well, one of the choices is called not-for-profit corporation, and that's the one that you would want to choose. And so you go to the state, you pay $60, and you file something called articles of incorporation, and um, you fill out the, the form there and answer certain questions. And voila, you will be given something called a North Carolina not-for-profit corporation. So it's right. a business. So okay. that's the that's step. So that but that what a lot of people get mistaken is that that $60 to Raleigh does not get you a 501c3 tax exemption. And so so the problem with that is that to get the tax exemption, you actually you have to incorporate and then you have to apply to the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, Rocky, we're going to take a quick
3: break here and we're going to hear from Kalante Gavin. This is No Ordinary Worship. And then we're going to come back and hear some more interesting thoughts about nonprofits.
2: This ain't no ordinary. Give them all I have in this Come on, help me save. 12 long years, didn't know what to do. She heard about a man coming through her time. She fell to her knees and crawled on the ground. Oh, this is what she said, yo. She said, if I could only touch, but the give up is gone. Drink, crucified for you and Player. Somebody said, play your life, you This ain't no ordinary This ain't no ordinary oh, yeah. song no
0: Thank you for listening to the Faith Connection Show. And here's Dr. Miller with his special guest.
3: You hit something there that I wanted to discuss. You said it is a business. Mm-hmm. And that's what people sometimes confuse mm-hmm. because they're thinking, okay, if I'm gonna do a business, I'm doing an LLC or yeah. something like that. But when you form a non you're actually forming a business. Absolutely. But you're actually saying that the business is not for my profit, mm-hmm. as an LLC would be, but it is for, so uh, and I'll let you explain that.
5: Yeah, so really the o- major difference between, let's say, if you start a corporation, a for-profit corporation and a nonprofit corporation, is what you do with the profits. Right. That's the okay. only real difference. So having a board of directors, following, you know, corporate formalities like having minutes and other, other things of that nature, all those are they are the same. Where they deviate really in a real essence is what you can do with the profits. If you have a for-profit, you can declare a dividend. You can you can if you I helped found this company, I can if we did had a, we had a good year, you can give me some of the money, right? Okay. I can get a bonus or something like that. With a non-profit, if, say for instance, we got our overhead was fifty thousand. We got a hundred thousand dollars in grants and donations. I can't just, you know, oh well, I did a really good job. I'm the founder of the nonprofit, and, and I can take you know twenty-five thousand dollars out of that. Right. No, right. you have to reinvest any profits into the mission. Okay. And so, for-profit organizations are more or less. Profit driven and nonprofits are mission driven. Right. And so those are kind of the differences, but how they operate from having to follow uh, most of the, you know, like uh, requirements of paying unemployment taxes, workers' compensation, you know, all those sort of things, they all apply to nonprofits. And, you know, I think that that's, uh, you know, when you have a big heart and you feel the spirit and you're very, you know, interested in doing, you know, changing the world. A lot of times the idea of half owning a business and running a business as a nonprofit trips people up. Right. Now, you
3: know, a person with real passion generally wants to commit themselves to full-time, this kind of thing. Can they take a salary from a non-profit?
5: Well, yes. Yes, absolutely. In fact, um, this is my last week of being executive director at a non-profit in Salisbury. Right. And I have a salary. Okay. You know, there's, I think that one of the, if there's one thing that people can take away is that you don't have to take a vow of poverty to be <laughs> right. in a nonprofit okay <laughs> uh, you true. can't necessarily enrich yourself you know with profits mm-hmm. that's on one end but on the other end you know no it, it's not all you don't all have to be volunteer it's not mother teresa in calcutta <laughs> right. every day you know with a nonprofit it you know nonprofits have to hire people they have to you know, they have to be able to recruit the right people um, because if you have a strong mission, you've got to have the right staff and the right leadership and management to get it done. And so people aren't going to work for free. And right. so you've got to raise the money and you've got to pay the money out in salaries and out uh, and overhead and operations.
3: So really the only difference is, is that you may not be selling or producing a certain commodity or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. But the... People who are generous enough to give to the nonprofit, mm-hmm. they're giving to it to promote the work of that nonprofit, which you have to hire professionals and people who can make that happen.
5: Oh, yeah, yeah. So many founders, you know, eventually, now, one thing that is a, one, one idea and a tip that I would give to your listeners is once the founder gets to a point where you can start taking a salary, you know, um, because of the conflict of interest, you should step off the board of directors that you most likely are chairing, most likely and become the CEO and subject to the board of directors. Right. And uh, because you know there there's an inherent conflict of interest from a non-profit perspective if you know I'm deciding the pay for myself you can kind of see where maybe in a for-profit area you know like I'm Jeff Bezos and I have Amazon, I can, you know, determine my pay, but right. nonprofits, there's a lot, there's a, there is a little bit more, um, focus on good governance and, 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 corporate formalities. I wouldn't, what I'm trying to say is don't, I'm not discouraging anyone who has a passion, has a vision, wants to be a founder, and then eventually wants to sort of, you quote, unquote, do well by doing good is that there is a, you know, there is a right way to make that transition from founding a nonprofit and then taking a salary from it. And mm-hmm. as a plug, those are the sort of things where, if you want to, you know, that now, I can help you with.
3: Now, if, yeah. um, a, a, if you are setting up a nonprofit and that you come to that point, how selecting the board of directors mm-hmm. is extremely important. And Absolutely. most founders of nonprofits really do a poor job in selecting a board of directors. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit about that? I know our yeah. time is, yeah. is winding up, but if you could tell us a little bit about that, i appreciate it.
5: Well, I mean, you know, there's many ways of, of starting a, a board of directors. You know, number one is uh, getting your head around the idea that you have to have a board of directors. Mm-hmm. Because many founders, you know, they a lot of them think they're sole proprietors. Many of them right. think that this is my business, this is my baby, I started this. It's, uh, you know, I, I'm the one who put the money in. I'm the one who hired that attorney to, like, you know, start this nonprofit. Right, you right. know. And so, um, so, number one, I think, is just getting the idea that you have to share power. Okay. Now, yeah. sharing power is not easy. It's not. It's <laughs> not, particularly if it's your vision, right? And That's then true. Got, it's like That's uh, true. starting a band, right? If right. It's yeah. my vision. These are my songs. And then somebody wants to, you know, start playing something in a different key. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is, this is my vision. This is And so... Um, so, number one, um, prepare to of uh, the notion of sharing power. If you are not interested in sharing power but doing good, there's and this may be a topic of another discussion. There's a whole area called social entrepreneurship where many people, Ben and Jerry's and other, you know, even the King's Kitchen downtown are utilizing for-profit entities at doing social good.
3: Right. And so if you right.
5: really are just against the idea of sharing power, there are other means to do that, but if you're going to do the nonprofit route, a corp, nonprofit corporation route, you got to learn to share power. Okay, but there are a lot of nonprofit corporations, mm-hmm. I
3: mean, we're for-profit corporations mm-hmm. that have nonprofit corporations. And in those cases, sometimes they're using their own earnings to promote the good that they want to do in the community.
5: Can a for-profit own a nonprofit? Um. Well. Well, nobody really owns a nonprofit. Okay, and I'm so, sorry about so that. So you can now. Oh, now they, so with a nonprofit, the difference between another difference between that and for-profit, when we talk about power, it really comes down to voting. Mm-hmm. So you can structure your bylaws in the sense that the founder, the incorporator, whether it's a the corporation, or their representatives has more voting power. You know, so. And a lot of times in a for-profit, you, you, you have more voting power. It that means that's more ability to get more money out of, out of the venture. But uh, with a nonprofit, it, it, a lot of times it just comes down to, can I choose you on your board of directors? Yes. Can, I, you know, try, can I choose the direction of where Correct. you're going? Yes. And so the board of directors is the place where those heavy decisions are made but then who's on your board of directors. And so a lot of the, the devil's in the details. where lawyers come in, is number one, you have to check your articles in corporations, if there's any language there, that's going to trump everything, or in your corporate bylaws. Mm-hmm. And if the bylaws say something, you know, that uh, these certain members have, or these certain um, you know directors, or, or how you classify them have more voting power than another type of director, that's how founders can, you know, sort of, uh, ensure that their vision is, is involved and that's the kind of thing I do is that particularly if I'm working with a founder you know, we try, I try to work with them to draft bylaws in a way that ensures that they can't be kicked out, you know, like Ben and Jerry's. you know, they got, they got real excited about doing social good and they went public and then all the shareholders are like, uh, you know we're not really interested in that and so they got kicked out of their own company, you know, and so um, it's, and another thing is the best time to kind of make these decisions is at the front end when everybody's happy. That that goes for both for-profits and non-profits, is when everyone's at the front end, um, people are more amenable to changes and thinking to, and being more uh, collaborative, and that's the time where the documents that you produce, the governance documents you produce, they should be done at that time because when people are kicked off at each other and they're lawyering up and, and you didn't have the right documents in the first place. We're going to take a quick break
0: here. We'll be right back
5: the world premiere of the brand new single I Can Love You
1: Through Anything by musician, singer, songwriter and producer, Ken Hardio
2: I can love you
1: Featuring Charlotte, North Carolina's very own musician, singer, songwriter, music educator, and producer, Quentin Berthay. This song has a message of hope and healing for people of all ages across the globe. Get your copy now. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Google Play.
3: So really, a lot of it has to do with where you start this. Yes. Yeah, and, and of course, that's what you do is uh, as an attorney, this is your primary area of interest and you can help people get off to the right start.
5: If they, You know, helping them get started on the right track. But, you know, if you're, you know, midstream, you know, and you're you're already there, I mean, there's a good chance for you to have an attorney there to kind of, you know, revise your bylaws. And, and you know, also the dynamic, if you've got a board of directors and you've got an executive director and a staff and, and there's inherent, you know, trust me, I, I've been through this, there's inherent issues between sharing power, between what's the difference between governance and management. One thing that an attorney would might like, you know, can do is to sort of help uh, both in writing and also just through mediating is just figure you know, helping that group figure out what the happy mean is.
3: Well, you know, and, and that does become a problem because even with a non profit or for profit, when it gets big enough and the numbers are huge, mm-hmm. uh, it becomes a problem with power because we're and humans. Yeah, we're humans, mm-hmm. and I think that's where the real issue is. You know, Rocky, I think what we really need to do is make this a two-part show I'm because down with that. Um, this is uh, this is just really interesting because there are a lot of people out there that really have some great ideas mm-hmm. about doing good in the community, and hey. It looks like that what we're doing is great, but all of a sudden what started out to be good Mm -hmm. ends up in a bad way. Absolutely. So what I'd like to do is maybe make this... um, A sort of a two-part interview because I've got some people that are starting up nonprofits, and Mm -hmm. it would be great to have a conversation with both sides on the show. So we're going to bring you back on the show, Rocky, and we're going to sit down and talk about this because your practice is in Charlotte, North Carolina. Even though Mm -hmm. our show is syndicated, and we're all over the U.S. as well as... Foreign countries, but I think we should have this conversation because I think there are people all over the U.S. starting up nonprofits yes, and yes. even some nonprofits that are servicing uh, overseas areas. Yes, so that will be great for us. Now, just before we close, Rocky, I want you to tell. Uh, our listening audience, Mm -hmm. how to make contact with you because they may need your services. And then we're going to come back in part two and we're going to bring some nonprofit uh, entrepreneurs on on board with us.
5: Okay. Well, I am actually, as of October 1st, joining the law firm of Hull & Chandler in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I can be reached at 704 375 8488. That'll be starting October 1st. Okay. Um, again, that's 704-375-8488 and I'm just asked for Rocky. Okay, that sounds great. Alright, it's been great having you on the show and we look forward to having you back on Part 2. I'm excited. Thank you so much, Dr. Miller. Right.
6: Never would have made it see how you were there for me and i can say i'm stronger i'm wiser i'm better much better when i
3: We live in an angry world, a world that is so angry until it seems like that we're doing evil to one another. But we must remember that whenever we're living in an angry world, we have to deal with angry people. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the hearts of every human being. So it's not just one person, it's every person. If you're out there today and you're struggling because it seems like evil has been done to you and people are seem to be angry with you about something of the past or something that has just recently happened, don't let that kind of anger force you to do things that you know is not the right thing to do. Because anger is never without reason, but seldom is the reason a good one. So that means that you have to remember that whatever people do, whatever a man sows, he must also reap. So reaping time will soon come, but also remember That Joseph was the prime example of when evil is done to you, the approach that you must take. You remember when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, but after they sold him into slavery, Joseph prospered in the midst of that. So what does that mean? What they meant for evil, God meant for good. So just remember that when evil is done to you, remember the story of Joseph. What they meant for evil,
0: God means for good. Thank you for listening to the Faith Connection Show with Dr. David Miller, making a connection for you and equipping people to connect with their purpose. Don't forget to log on to the ConnectCenterNC.com. That's connectcenternc.com. If you'd like to reach Dr. David Miller, email theconnectcenter3 at gmail.com. That's theconnectcenter3 at gmail.com. And remember, never lose the connection to your purpose.